died on the cross for our sin and death season. And as we look forward to celebrating that, one of the, the, the you've heard me say many, many times over the years that my favorite way of understanding what it means to be a believer in Scripture, particularly in the New Testament, but in all of Scripture, is the word hope. Is that no matter what we're facing, and in many of our lives it's very difficult right now, or has been, or will be, that as believers, whatever we face, we have hope. The word in the original language in which the scripture was written means confident expectation. I know, not I wish, and maybe one option as opposed to many options. It means I confidently expect that this is what's going to happen. For example, Scripture tells us that when I pass away, absent from the body is present with the Lord. Scripture teaches me for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. Those aren't just things, the adages that we like to quote to give us something to hang on and, and get by on a daily basis, but they are our lifeline. One of my favorite descriptions of it in Scripture is the metaphor that says, I hope is an anchor of the soul. And that metaphor of a picture that I drop my soul, but that's my anchor, my hope, is in the person of Jesus Christ. And it's steady, I'm not going anywhere, I'm secure because I'm in Christ. And so as we finally wrap up this attributes, we began to look at this, this passage in Ezekiel 37 last week. And I want to just read a couple of verses and then we're going to get into where we are today. So go to Ezekiel 37, verse 1. Because the reality is you look at this. We're not going to uh, execute this part of it. I just want to set the stage for what we're going to look at today. As you get to Ezekiel 37 and you're reading this passage, and the reality, number one there on your handout, the reality of what we looked at last week is that from a man's point of view, when you look down over that valley of dry bones, it looks like there's no hope. Verse 1, chapter 37. The hand of the Lord came upon me, Ezekiel, and brought me out of the Spirit of the Lord. He set me down in the midst of the valley, and it was full of bones. He caused me to pass by them all around. Behold, there were very many in the open valley, and indeed they were very dry. Many bones, very dry. Picture just absolute death, devastation. He said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? So I answered, O Lord God, you know. Ezekiel, there's nothing else to part. Because from man's point of view, when you look out in a valley that's absolutely covered in bones, they're not just, they're dry, meaning they've been there how long? Why? Devastation, death, everywhere, a valley of dry bones. From a human perspective, all you're seeing is death and devastation. And, even, and God says to you, can these bones live? Our first response intellectually is what? Of course not. But Ezekiel's response, Lord, you are omniscient. Only you really know whether these bones can live or not. From my point of view, they can't live. Quick example, maybe that, that will help us mentally to envision this. In John 11, when Jesus goes to, to, the, to the cemetery where, where the people are entombed with Mary and Martha, Lazarus has died. And what did they say to Jesus when he got there? Lord, if you had been here, what? This wouldn't have happened. You're bigger than death. That's where we're going to focus today. And Jesus walked up to that cemetery full of dead men's bones. And Lazarus, who was just entombed, he says, and clearly he, he waited three days for it. 
He looked down for Lazarus. He said, he said Lazarus, come forth. And a dead man comes walking out of that tomb. If you were there that day, your impression was what? Spirit. 
by which you will be made alive. Go back to that in a moment. Verse 7. So I prophesied as I was commanded. I prophesied. There was a noise and suddenly a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them over, but there was no breath in them. Suddenly, these bones are now, they've got skin, they've got sinews, but notice they don't have what? Breath. This is this great message here. God says, I'll call breath to come to you. You shall live. Only the Spirit of God ultimately brings life. Job 33, the Bible says, the Spirit of God has made me. And the breath of the Almighty gives me life. So he says, I put sinews on you. The bones come together. Here's the point. So many people that are this way. They have bones. They have sinews. They have skin. You look at them, they're alive. Set believers apart from us. The Spirit of God. He dwells us. We know how to work with that. That's the name of our series. Who's your what? Who's your daddy? You see, the difference between me and my older brother is that our mother sees the God created. He's the God created. Thank you. 
church is our church. The flock of you are in the gates of hell. Jesus makes you a promise, you know what? When God says to Ezekiel, I will make these dry bones alive, what does that mean? God was going to make them alive. Now, to Ezekiel, you look at it and say, No, he's not. God says, Step back. Watch. This is what I'm going to do. I will put sinews on them. Bones are going to come together. You see the verse 7 and 8. In Romans chapter 8, the Bible says this about us. This is what Paul writing to the church in Romans. The spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. The spirit of God who dwells you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. For as many as are led by the spirit of God, believers, we are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage Spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. You notice in the handout, that's one of the verses that we won't finish up in this series. We don't call God the big guy in the sky, or the force, or the man upstairs. We call him Daddy.
your life and see his name on it. Good stuff. We were standing there talking about it. Now, again, I, on my mom and my dad's funeral, an hour and a half ago, in the middle of nowhere, and both times, about 100 people took the Lord's Church to get up and see the Lord. They didn't know about that. Why'd they come? Because they couldn't come. They didn't have to come. After, after one of the funerals, I don't remember the mom or the dad, they kind of walked back to the bar and said, Someone he is there like everybody else was just friends of mine. The vast majority of people they were just friends of mine. They weren't just friends of mine. Recently, according to the clicking to this, the guy who was in the hospital visiting a friend. And an old friend of mine was over in Ukraine, and they were just sitting around talking. He didn't know who it was. But this person was a friend of mine from years ago at Martinet, I thought like years ago, back in the 80s. And she was just, she just happened to be over there. And they were just sitting around talking, and somehow, I don't know, Things I love about seeing operations like this and understanding the parents and pastors, realizing the church is always in good hands. We're going to be okay when the rain is gone. We are. We were preaching in old buildings and preaching in our apartment
Son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. And I prophesied after the majesty, the breath came into them, and they lived, and they stood on their feet, an exceedingly great harvest. There's something specific that God is doing, we'll talk about that, we'll get to it in a moment, but metaphorically or, or effectively for us, here's what he said I'm a giver of life. And then he says, Talk to the four winds. In Hebrew, you see that phrase, four winds means north, south, east, and west. Or another way we would put it, from all the corners of the globe, say to them, God is going to do something. Specifically, we saw last week, he's talking to the nation of Israel. The southern kingdom, Judah, and the northern kingdom, Israel, all 12 tribes, he's saying. Remember, at this point, uh, the 10 tribes are not even heard from, two tribes are in Babylon, Jerusalem, is leveled, and they don't have any anticipation of ever going back to rebuild the temple of Jerusalem. That's what Nehemiah and Ezra are about. They do get to go back because God said his 70 years will be in Babylon. But at this point, they don't anticipate that happening. But God said, You tell them. It's been a couple hundred years since the 10 tribes went into Assyrian captivity and disappeared. Say to them, From four corners of the globe, I'm going to bring you back. Thank you. 
nobody had an answer. Okay. Why? Because we didn't believe it. We can't help. He was omnipotent and omniscient and immutable. And all of those things. Final answer. No. We're not. So finally, verse 11. Number three in your handout. God gives a revelation. His hope is a guarantee. I don't wish about that earlier. It's a guarantee. Look at verse 11. He said to me, Son of man, these bones that you're looking at are the whole house of Israel, not just Judah and Babylon, but the Babylonian captivity, but all 12 tribes. They indeed say our bones are dry, our hope is lost, and we ourselves are cut off. Exclamation point. There is no hope in Jews' mind. We are, we're, we're owned by Babylon. We don't have a future. God's saying, Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and I will cause you to come up from your graves. I will bring you the land of Israel. You will know that I am the Lord. But I have opened your graves, O my people, brought you up from your graves. I will put my spirit in you. You shall live, and I will place you in your own land. You will know that I am the Lord have spoken it and performed it, says in a hopeless situation, God says, I'm going to do something. You have to trust me. A future time is coming when I'm going to make this nation all one. I want you for just a moment to flip back to Ezekiel chapter 36. Let's go back one chapter and look at verse 25. 36, 25. I will sprinkle clean water on you. You shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I'll give you a new heart. I'll put a new spirit within you. I'll take the heart of stone out of your flesh and I'll give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. You will keep my judgments and you will do them. You will dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. You will be my people. I will be your God. You're not always going to be a pastor. I got a new covenant coming. You're going to be set free. By the way, when you got the cross, you can say so. Resurrection. I'll cause you to live. I'll keep my promises. I'll always be. Jesus in Matthew 19, the Bible says he looked at them and he said, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Every funeral I do, I share the verses I'm about to share with you. I want you just close your Bibles. Take your hand out that I gave you and just listen for a moment to what it means. As we wrap up this series, I'm going to come back to the handout for a moment. This idea of hope. Because every funeral I officiate at, I know two things. People that are there are thinking about their own mortality. And the people there who aren't going to meet Christ. So at some point, you know, I share these verses. Just quoting them. I don't, I don't make any comment on them. I don't execute anything. I just quote God's words. Here it is. For surely there is a hereafter. Your hope will not be cut off. Hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Christ in you, the hope of glory. We do not sorrow as others who have no hope. We are looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus. 
earlier, I referenced this one. This hope we have is an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. God has saved us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven. Take your hand down and just look at it for a moment. And when we get done, we'll just hold it in half and put it in the back of your body. It'll always happen. God has all these things simultaneously. Why don't you go to the left hand block? It says these are his natural attributes. That's who he is. Omniscient. Omniscient is spelled wrong, but did it on purpose to see if you He's omniscient. He's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. He's eternal. He's immutable. He's comprehensible. He's self existent. He's self-sufficient, he's infinite, he's transcendent, he's sovereign. That's who he is. But he's also the moral attributes, how he expresses himself to us. He's holy, he's righteous, he's just, he's fair, he's merciful, he's long-suffering, he's patient, he's wise, he's loving, he's good, he's wrathful, he's truthful, he's faithful. All those things simultaneously. through this series, if nothing else, it's taught you that God is the great I am and your dad. He loves you. He wants to use you for the sake of the kingdom. And he is omnipresent in our world everywhere with saved, lost people, wherever you find yourself. They're ahead of you. Share a true story with you, and then we're going to close out our time together. I've got something special I want to share with you at the end. This is a true story. Heading into the Christmas season, we've talked about this before, but we're all going to watch December on it, and December 8th, the movie is called The Wild. You have to. Everybody's heard the movie, everybody knows about the movie, it's a wonderful life. But Jimmy Stewart was talking about this movie. Said, quote, it's hard to explain. I, for one, had things happen to me during the film that never happened in any other picture I've made. In one scene, for example, George Bailey is facing unjust criminal charges and not knowing where to turn, he ends up in a little roadside restaurant. He's unaware that most of the people in town are arduously playing for him. In this scene, at the lowest point of George Bailey's life, Frank Capra is shooting a long shot of me slumped in despair. In agony, I raised my eyes and following the script, pled, God, God, dear Father in heaven, I'm not a praying man, but if you're up there, you can hear me. Show me the way. I'm at the end of my rope. Show me the way, God. End quote. As I said those words, Jesus was speaking, I felt the loneliness, the hopelessness, people who had nowhere to turn, and my eyes filled with tears. I broke down sobbing. This was not planned at all. But the power of that prayer, the realization that our Father in heaven was really there, helped the hopeless to reduce me to tears. God is, He is, the great I am. And He alone offers hope now. And as His children,
We simply thank you for hope. Look at all your attributes and we realize who you are, what you've done, what you are doing, and what you will do. You've given us hope. Close out this series where I pray nothing else will just be reminded of this great God who is eternal and self existent. The most important thing to me is and individuals that I come in contact with, saved or lost, created in the image of our Savior. And leaves me every one of us to share hope. If you're in the building and you'd like to stay, you can close out our time.